And uh, <clears throat> a couple of things uh, that I want to point out, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump into this. A couple of announcements, if you will. Um, first off, I want to highlight the prayer team. Emily Jones, uh, she's uh, right down here. Um, we have a we do a, a prayer every Sunday morning. Uh, I wasn't there this morning, uh, so if you if you do show up, don't feel like oh man, if I don't come the next week, they're gonna judge me. It's not the case. Um, and uh, but it's eight fifteen, eight fifteen, eight thirty. I know it's early, but it's like eh, eight forty five is early too. So uh, just a little bit earlier, if you can come, it just it really is encouraging. It's uh, just a time to uplift and pray for our community. But she was also organizing a couple of different things about just praying, having people to pray during communion, and also maybe doing some uh, prayer walks. If you don't know what that is, just walking around the community, walking the neighborhood and just praying uh, while we're doing that. So uh, thankful for Emily for organizing that. Just want to, so if you have questions, talk to Emily about it and she'd love to get you signed up. She sends out a couple emails every once in a while. So that's one thing. Another thing is uh, our giving. I want to give you a little financial update uh, very quickly. So a couple weeks ago, just the first week of December, um, I had mentioned that we as a, as a whole church, not just our location, uh, that we uh, needed to raise uh, $435,000 in the month of December. Um, our, our weekly, av- like what our budget every week, what that needs to come in is around $46,000. Um, and so if you add up those, you know, those three, four weeks, it's like, okay, we still need to raise about $350,000. Um, and, and the cool thing is we actually did. Um, and so, so thank you for your generosity. We didn't end in the red. We actually ended $10,000 in the black, uh, which is a huge, huge deal. I still have a job. Uh, we can pay the bills here. Uh, it's always a nice thing to know at the end of the year. Um, and uh, we are actually making some changes. I don't know if this is public or not. I don't see why it wouldn't be. Um, but we're going to be making some changes as far as the church goes with our fiscal year. So it used to be just year-end, January to December. But we're switching that to end in July uh, for a few reasons. One is we all don't have to hold our breath uh, in our biggest month of giving, right? So when we're $450,000 behind in December, uh, we won't be like, are we going to make it or are we not? We'll know uh, once January or July hits. Uh, hey, we're right where we should be. So that's a big part of it, just the fiscal year um, and how people give and that kind of thing. And so just throwing that out there. So we're going to have our annual meeting on, on January 21st. Maybe that's when they're going to announce that. But then we'll also have one probably sometime in, in the beginning of August is my guess. And so just to throw that out there. I want to put that on your radar. Um, we are um, looking at, and, and so this this week, last week was kind of a, a weird, kind of a standalone little thing of like, why do we do church the way we do? What I want to do the next three weeks is is kind of do a little mini series um, that has to do with us. I hope everything does. Um, but as far as our church, our, our campus, our location, whatever you want to call it, and just say, what does it mean? And Jesus does this multiple times about talks about the kingdom of God. And I, had, I wanted to do that a while back, and then it just didn't really fit in, and it wasn't really working where we were going. And so I just want to spend the next three weeks of looking at when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. I just want to dig into that and uh, apply it to ourselves individually, corporately, and that kind of thing. And so I want to do that. Another thing I want to put on your radar this might mean something to you. It might not. Um, but a couple, probably a month or two ago now, Andrew uh, Blaufus and I, we took a class on podcasting. Um, and I'm not a, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't know anything about podcasts. Um, I, know, I know Joe Rogan. I know he has one. That's about it. That's all I know. 
Uh, and so, um, anyways, what I what I was talking brainstorm with Andrew about is is starting one specifically for us for our church, in the sense of like we you are incredibly and if you're visiting today, great, I'm glad you're here. Um, but I want to talk to my my fam real quick here that you are you really are biblically literate. You, this is a, an incredibly educated, uh, biblically literate uh, congregation, and I'm thankful for that. Um, and so I don't want to talk over anyone's heads, um, and and not that I can even if I wanted to. I gotta you know read books and then go. Oh, here you go, everybody. Um, but what I, what I want to do is, because a lot of you know that I, t- I teach a systematic theology class uh, downtown, and so I want to be able to maybe take 20, 30 minutes uh, and go through a specific theology and then interview one of you, talk about it. What is, how is this uh, theology impacted? Just do one a week, and so I'm thinking about it. It's not set in stone, but... Um, at least just throw it out there, and if people listen to it, great. And if not, it'll just help me prep for class. Um, so, um, anyways, want to want to throw it out there. So, um, like I said, we're going to be looking at the at the kingdom of God, and I, I came across this this story uh, while I was doing my my preparation. This is from a missionary. Uh, his name is actually John John Hess uh, Yoder, not our our basis John Hess, but a different John Hess. Um, and uh, he says this while serving as a missionary in Laos. Um, I discovered something very interesting. Uh, before the colonialists imposed national boundaries, I have no idea if this story is true or not, okay? So I'm just, it sounds good, it fits the message, so I'm, I'm reading it here, okay? Um, I didn't do, I didn't do uh, research on whether this was true or not. Uh, before the colonialists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam reached an agreement on taxation in the border areas, all right? So where there wasn't a very clear line of, of okay, you're, you're in that country, now you're in this country. Um, those who ate short grain rice built their houses on stilts and decorated them with an Indian-style serpents were considered uh, Laotians or La- Laotians, Laotians? On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice, built their houses on the ground, and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons were considered Vietnamese. The exact location of a person's home was not what determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values he or she exhibited. He goes on to say this, so it is with us. We live in the world, but as part of God's kingdom, we are to live according to his kingdom standards and values. It didn't matter geographically where they were situated. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with what their values were. And so maybe they lived technically in Vietnam. They, they were actually in heart and values from, from Laos. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. What does it mean to be part of the kingdom of God? And specifically today, I want to look at being authentic having some authenticity in, in who we are, not just in what we do as a church, that's very true. But beyond that, personally, how, how do we interact with those around us? How do we act? How do we live our lives? And do we live it with authenticity with those around us? And so I just want to give you a heads up. That was uh, uh, Those of you who were praying for me over this last week, the pastor study break, thank you. Um, it, was, it was a good time of rest, got a lot of work done. Uh, planned out the rest of the year, so I'll give you a little a little taste of what we're going to be doing. Uh, so we're going to do these next three weeks on, on looking at the kingdom of God, um, and then we're actually going to spend an entire month, uh, four weeks, on looking at how how do we, as Christians, act, behave uh, within the political climate that that we're clearly in now, and we're about to really go into uh, come come November with the presidential election, um, and then we're going to be spending uh, a couple months in the book of Job. Um, which was which was my idea. I wanted to, so it was kind of a fun story. Core, Pastor Core, Pastor Steve, and now Pastor Drew, because he's going to be on the same kind of schedule. 
we were sitting there and we didn't know, hey, what, what, what book do we want to do? And I said, nobody say anything. I said, how about this? How about on the count of three, all of us say, just yell out a book that we all want to do. And I thought maybe if we, two of us say the same thing, then that's what we'll do. It didn't happen. We all said random things. And I said Job, and, and for some reason, that's, that's what we landed on. So I'm glad. I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, I love that book. And um, yeah, Steve said he hasn't preached through Job since 2001, which that was two decades ago almost. All right. Uh, and then after Job, we're going to spend the summer in the Psalms uh, doing that. We're going to have one month of just kind of where, where we're at and uh, and maybe do kind of a one-month standalone thing. But then after that, um, which I'm really excited about, uh, more so excited that we're going to start in the fall and not now, today, is that we're going to be starting uh, going through the Book of Romans. And that's going to take us probably over a year uh, to get through. It's a long book. It's 16 chapters, but there's some rich, good, awesome theology. Um, Steve has waited. He's never preached the Book of Romans, so... Um, Steve wanted to wait till after he was 50. John Piper, if you know who he is, he, he waited till after he was 50. And then Tim Keller, if you know who he is, he waited until after he was 50. And because we're doing this location thing, I've got to do it when I'm 34. Um, so, uh, I, I, so it gives me some time to study ahead of time. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've taken several classes on Romans, and, and I'm really excited about it. So that's where we're headed. Okay, let's jump into this. What do we know about this kingdom? All right, so I'm going to jump uh, kind of, well, I guess everything here in the scripture is backwards, but we're jump, jump, uh, um, we're going to be looking at Luke, but we're, so we're going to be looking ahead, but he's going to kind of go, whatever. Acts chapter one, it says this. In my former book, this is Luke talking, Theophilus, he's kind of writing this book uh, to Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That was, that was all in the book of Luke. It says, until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. All right, so for 40 days after he's resurrected from the dead, Luke says he, that's all he did. He spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked. This is one of my favorite series of questions that, that, that come out here. It's just one question, but they ask three different things within it. It says, Lord, are, are you, Jesus, are you at this time right now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, so he's been, he's ta he's been talking about the, the kingdom of God for 40 days, and I'm telling you right now, the disciples still don't get it. The disciples at this moment still think this kingdom has to do with ethnic Israel within a physical boundary in this kingdom, this, this realm in which we live and with, within Israel. And I love Jesus' response. So again, are, are you, Jesus, right now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is what Jesus says. He says to them, First off, it's not for you to know the times, right? Don't, you don't worry about the time. We don't need to worry about that. We don't need to worry about the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, all right? The Father's going to do what he's going to do, so just go do it until he says stop. Then he says this, but you will receive power, right? They ask, well, Jesus, when are you going to do this? And he says, no, 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 it's not, not about me doing this. You, my disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses where, just in Israel? No, nope. in Jerusalem, that's Israel. But then all of Judea, just still Jerusalem, and still Israel. And then Samaria, whoa, those are people that we don't really get along with. And then he says, unto the ends of the earth. 
Now, this is not just about ethnic Israel. This is just not about a ge geographical area or land or kingdom within Israel. This is for all people. So it says, you're going to do this with the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the clouds. Sorry, I know where this is going, and I'm, uh, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm laughing here in a second. And a cloud hid them from their sight, uh, and they were looking up intently in the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And I just, I just picture this scene, right? They're, they're just staring up into the clouds, staring up into heaven, and these two angels appear, and it seems like nobody even notices them, right? And you, I'm sure they were just like, Men of Galilee, you know, and they were just like, Ugh! like, what? Where'd you guys? Where'd you come from? I'm laughing because that happened. When I get scared, like genuinely scared, that's what I do. I just go, whoa! That's that's my thing. I just whoa! And and that happened this morning. I was changing my my baby's diaper, and I thought Henry was passed out asleep still in his room. And and next thing I I know, I see the doorknob open and his hand, right? And I, and I I just why wouldn't that be my son? I don't know, but I whoa, right? And then he. And then he, woo, you know, he gets scared. That was, that's what happened to the disciples. That's in my mind. That's what happened. And they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus is talking about this kingdom, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be a geographical thing. So, so what is the kingdom? What are, we, what are we looking at? So I want to read a definition from uh, Norval Gildenheis, or Hus, uh, he, says, he says this, and I, I, I don't get bogged down in, in, the, in the language here, but, but he says some really in, important things. The kingdom of God first indicates the ruling activity of God, all right, so that, that's first and foremost, is the, is the ruling activity of God, and then the divine rule in its saving operation on the one hand and its judicial action on the other hand, all right? So there's something uh, that happens inside of us that we are saved, but then also something that he's ruling. It also refers to the field where the rule of God is exercised, right? So the area, right? So he's saying that that's part of it. And finally, to the divine rule as it will, uh, at the end of time, be fully realized and exist through eternity. So basilia is the, is, the, is the Greek word for kingdom. So basilia may mean, it can mean dominion, which I think a lot of people interpret that as, royal sovereignty, royal territory, kingdom, and even royal majesty. And he goes on, no doubt, and this is, this is uh, I think right here, hits it on the head, no doubt can be entertained that in both the Old Testament and in Jewish literature, basilia, that word for kingdom, when applied to God, means always the kingly rule and never the kingdom as if it were meant to suggest the territory governed by him. This is not just an area of, of land, right? Think about that opening illustration. It has, doesn't matter which side of the boundary they're on. It doesn't matter if they're residents of the United States or of, of Germany or of, of North uh, Korea. It doesn't matter where they're at. Location-wise or ethnic or, or any kind of, of difference within humanity doesn't matter. If God is ruling in their heart, they are part of the kingdom of God. This is why when I pray that God expand your kingdom one soul at a time, because it is our own hearts, it is our lives that are changed, that we are bowing the knee to King Jesus, and therefore his kingdom is expanded. In Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the gospel of Jesus, then when we share that gospel, hell doesn't stand a chance. And it's not because we're taking over physical land that we're you know, going to take over a neighborhood, we're going to build a commune, and we're just going to live happily ever after. No, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. That's always been the command. 
to expand his kingly rule into the hearts and the minds of people. And so as we read passages this week and the weeks to come, I want to keep this in mind, that this has always meant kingly rule and never the kingdom as if it were meant to suggest territory governed by him. So what do we know about this kingdom? The passage that I want to look at specifically this morning is that it's like little children. So now going back into Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18, verse 15, it says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And so a little bit of context, Jesus is out, there's a huge multitude of people and they were just bringing all their sick people and anyone who had some kind of disability or, or some kind of a, a, a demon possession or anything that he was just healing people like crazy. And so some, maybe, maybe some of the parents who were healed said, man, I, I, want, I just want his blessing on my kid, right? I just want him to, I just want him to touch my baby. And so people are just bringing their babies to Jesus and you can just see this crowd and he's just trying to touch all these babies on the head, right? Just trying to bless them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, right? They, re, they, they, they tell the parents, get away. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God, right? His sovereign rule in their hearts or in the hearts of people belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive God's rule like a child will never enter it. Now, is he saying here that I have to be a child? No, that's clearly not the point. And in John chapter three, when a Pharisee, Nicodemus, approaches God or Jesus and says, what must I do to be born again? And Jesus says, or Jesus says, you must be born again. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And his response is, well, do I have to go back into my mother's womb? Like, no, gross, Nicodemus. No, you don't have to do that. Calm down, right? It's not about actually being a physical child, right? It's having something about our, our heart, having this childlike innocence and gentleness and grace and just trustworthiness. It's unbelievable how, how trusting kids are, how genuine and good they are, and they just believe Right? When kids are, are, are taken care of, there's no reason why they shouldn't believe a parent or an adult. Right? Just to say, hey, this thing is going to happen later on. Or they believe that stuff. And it's not about kids just because they like presents. Right? It's not about Jesus isn't saying, hey, be like a kid because, man, kids love getting presents. Yes, they do. Right? But there's something about trusting. And so I was reminded of, of, uh, of parents who, who give little, who wrap a banana, right? And give it to these little kids. And these kids open the, open the present and they're just losing their minds. It's a banana, right? It's like there's a whole bundle of them on the counter. You know what I mean? Like it just, there's something about that, that innocence and genuineness of this is good, of this gift that you're trying to give me. There's just something about them that receives with excitement. I, when uh, uh, the, the Mandalorian, the new Star Wars thing was coming out on, on Disney Plus, that's why I wanted to get Disney Plus, but then I got Disney Plus, and then I was just really excited. They had all these old movies, you know, from the vault. And uh, so I, I went to my son and I was like, I was like, I, I want you, I wanna, I wanna go, let's go downstairs, I wanna show you something. He's like, you know, he got so excited. He's like, what is it? And I just, I couldn't think of anything else to say to explain what Disney was, and all I said was, magic. And he, and, and he just, I want to see magic. You know, he doesn't even know what magic is, right? And we went down there to watch Bambi. That was bad. That was a bad choice. 
where's mother? Where's mother? I don't, uh, she got lost in the storm. I'm sure she'll be fine. Holy smokes. Don't watch Bambi with a toddler. It's just something right about that innocence. And that's what Jesus is saying, that all of our hearts just needs to stop, put the doubts away, put the questions away. Those are good to have, right? So I'm not saying don't, don't think and reason about your faith, but just embrace it the way a child does. That's what Jesus, Jesus is saying. It's also humble like a child. And this uh, is a small child, um, right? My child is still a little bit humble. He does certain things where he's like, no, I can do it on my own. And it's just like, okay, let's wait five minutes because you can't, um, Right? But just being humble. And so I want to look at another passage here in Luke. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. It says, The some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And I I have to, when I read scripture, I have to, in a sense, read myself into it. But so many times I I want to be the hero of a story. I want to be the good guy in the story. But I have to remind myself that's not me. That I am a sinner. And I am deceitfully wicked. And so I have to read myself as that's me. And I know I am. I'm the kind of individual who is confident of my own righteousness and I look down on other and everyone else. Now, this could be for just not, not, maybe not necessarily a religious thing, but maybe just a, an intellectual thing. This was a couple of months ago this summer when we did our kickoff. Um, several of you, many of you helped grill. That day was a miserable day, raining and, and all that. And, and I did a lot of baptisms, and just nine or ten of them or something. And, and right before I went out into the water to baptize, Steve, Pastor Steve, my boss, came up to me and said, hey, this is how you're going to want to do this. All right? And I'm like, okay, I've done this before. Like, what's, you know, you know what's going on? And he's like, it's, you got, what you're going to do is just push them up by the back of their head, let their feet drop, let them stand up. If you don't, you're going to hurt your back. And I'm the whole time, I'm like... Okay, old man. Like, what are you talking? Like, I'm fine. Right? I, I didn't. I didn't say that to him. Right? He's my boss. I would never disrespect him to his face. Um, and and so we get out into the water, and I'm just crushing it. Right? I'm throwing them down, throwing them up, throwing them down, throwing them up. And we get out of the water, and Steve immediately walks up to me. and He goes, "Man, it looks like you were muscling them out of the water." And I'm like, "I'm fine. I have never been in more back pain in my life." The next day, when my back hurt, only only cool thing that came from it was like people like, "Oh, what'd you do?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, just baptizing people." Like that was kind of a weird weird thing, right? That's me, right? I just I struggle with this. That doesn't mean oh, I'm I'm more spiritual than you, but that could be in some cases in my own mind, in my own heart. Oh, I read my Bible more often than you. Oh, I pray more often than you. I'm okay. I'm better than you. I mean, if God had to choose you or me, he's probably going to choose me. So Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, right? One a religious leader, me. And then the other, a tax collector, a traitor. The Pharisee stood by him and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, this traitor, this one who has gone against Israel by siding with the Romans. He says, I fast twice a week, which is more than was required. And I give a tenth of all that I get, which was more than what was required. But the tax collector stood up at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but he, he beat his breast. It was a symbol. They would cross their arms over their chest, and they would just pound their chest as a symbol of just humility and grief. And he couldn't even lift up his eyes, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We don't know his background. We don't know why he's labeled a sinner. But you have this pastor and this sinner, and Jesus says, I tell you that this man 
This sinner rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who will exalt themselves will be humble, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. What else do we know about the kingdom of God? It's authentic. We talk about authenticity, and, and I'm pretty sure every, every product that's ever been made and marketed, right, it's genuine, it's authentic, it's, it's original, all the, all the adjectives, right? But this is what should be true of us, that we should be real, because, peop, man, people know when you're being fake, right? They, we just do. We just, we, there's something about being a human being that when somebody else comes up to you and puts some cheesy smile on their face and says, everything's going fine and dandy, that you know in your heart, yeah, that's not true. Let's be real. Let's be authentic because Jesus says there's some good reasons to be real. He says in this, in Luke chapter 12, one through five, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of the religious leaders. Yeast is just a little, little salt, little salt bay, little, uh, it's a little, um, it's, a, it's a bacteria, right? That you put inside a dough and you work it in and it spreads the whole thing. It's not bacteria. Everyone's like, it's not bacteria. What? Fungus. I didn't know that's fungus. Oh, I just ruined bread for me now. I'll take bacteria. I'd rather have bacteria than fungus. Putting little mushrooms in my bread, man. Um, all right, focus. Uh, that when you put just a tiny little bit in, right, just a tiny little bit of that in, it goes everywhere. That's what he's saying. It's this yeast. It's just this, this one little thing, but it affects everything. And in, in, in other places, Jesus says just a, a little leaven, a little yeast leavens the whole lump. So then he goes on to say this. What is, the, what is this yeast? What is this yeast of the Pharisees, he says, which is hypocrisy? There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of your inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Right, what? What's he saying, right? Because there's kind of this weird thing that I was taught growing up that when I, when I die and I go to heaven, that my whole life is going to be put up on a projector screen and everyone's going to see everything that I've ever done. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's, that's bad theology, okay? God knows everything I've done. What he's saying here is that this hypocrisy that's in my life, it's going to be made known. That when I'm standing before the judgment throne and everyone's standing around and if Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, my hypocrisy will be made very well known. That eventually that's going to be exposed. It's going to be obvious. He's saying, just watch, just, just observe this individual that proclaims and seems to be so humble. Just watch them. They will fall. And he goes on and he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Just physical harm, other human beings. He's saying, be real with them. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And this isn't some kind of scare tech that Jesus is getting like, hey man, be authentic. Or if you're not authentic, you're gonna go to hell. It's not what he's doing. He's saying, I, I, I am who you need. I can forgive you of your sins and God will forgive you of your sins if you put your faith in me. But you have to do that like a child, like a humble, authentic child. 
And we see this in First Peter, went over this, I don't know, probably a year ago now, First Peter chapter 2, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Right? There's some, he's, he's, he's flipping it on its head. He's saying you shouldn't be a hypocrite, that it should never be named among us, not so about us, that we should be and our conduct should be so good and authentic and real and genuine that when people look at us and they see us, they go, yeah, that's, that's good. There must be something about their God that I that I want. When I was a, a little kid, I may have shared this a long time ago, I don't remember if I have or not, but um, every classroom, school classroom had a bulletin board, you know, and they'd put the fancy little trim around it and, and all that. They still do that. Are there teachers in here? There's a couple teachers in here, right? We, people still do that? Yeah, still a thing. Um, and, you know, and I remember like they had to do it. Like they had to like change it once a month and, and all these different things. And, but I, I will, it is, and here's why. Here's why you change it every month. Because I distinctly remember one of them that said, uh, your, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right? And the whole idea of that, and I remember it being up there. And as a little kid, I remember reading it over and over and over. And it was one of those things that just got stuck in my head. And it was like an earworm, just like walk talks, talk talks. But then it finally made sense. Like, oh, I can say something. But if the way I live doesn't back it up, it's hypocrisy. That I can, I can tell my wife I love her over and over and over, but if I don't actually demonstrate that I love her, not demonstrating talks louder than just saying it. That's not what we're called to do. And we see this again in Luke chapter 11, verse 37 through 44, when Jesus had finished speaking a Pharisee, again, the religious leader invited him to eat with him. So Jesus went, went in and reclined at the table but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. All right. I want to just pause here for a second because Jesus does this on purpose. Right? Jesus knows there is some man-made rule, there's some ritual that is religious in a sense that I need to ceremonially wash my hands. It wasn't germs. They're not washing it with soap. They're not doing any of that stuff. Simply ceremonially gleaning and rinsing off your cup and saying, okay, this has been, been washed and now it's been set apart for God and so now we can, we can eat from it. It's a made-up thing. And Jesus says, I'm not having it. Even as a guest in your house, I'm going to try to teach you something here that's just not biblical, that you're adding some extra man-made rule to religion that's not there. And Jesus does that on purpose. And man, I'm telling you, that's hard to do. He's not a jerk about it. Right? He shows up and he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just live a way that Scripture teaches me to live, and it is actually very offensive. Right? A lot of people get offended in our culture. And it's the same thing here, that this religious leader would have been highly offended, highly offended that this person didn't obey this, this religious rule. This is what people have always done. Right? You dress a certain way, you talk a certain way, you, you eat a certain way, or you don't eat certain things, you don't drink certain things. Of course this is how Christians ought to conduct themselves. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. Then Jesus said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also, right? That they, they would just kind of ceremonially wash the outside. He's saying, no, 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 you're forgetting about the most important thing, and that's the inside. But as for now, or excuse me, but now, 
As for what is inside, he's saying you need to be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. There's a lot going on here, but they had a lot of these uh, uh, utensils and cups and plates and, and all these different things. They made such a fuss over that that they weren't sharing what they had and their excess with those who needed it. And then he says, woe to you Pharisees. Woe doesn't just mean like, hey, look out. He's saying there's, there is judgment. There is tremendous grief coming your way. Woe to you, religious leaders, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kind of garden herbs. All right, that they measured out. I'm going to give, okay, it said one-tenth. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meticulously measure out one-tenth of all my mint. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. He said, justice, mercy, and then he says it again, woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogue. This was just, picture this place, but no pews in the middle, some pews on the outside around it, right? And there'd be someone teaching, right? Kind of up front or like that. And so people would want to sit in these, these seats, these prestigious areas in these seats. That's all you want to do. You want to look important. You want to be respectfully greeted in the marketplaces or you want people to bow down and, oh, pastor so-and-so. It says, woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves in which people walk over without even knowing it. You are leading people to their death, and they don't even know it. So it leads into this phrase that form without function is hypocrisy. That when I do something without a reason, specifically, and I'm talking about religiously speaking, within the church, right? This isn't like a, if, I, if I'm driving my car in the middle of nowhere, no one's behind me, I turn my blinker on, uh, right, I'm not being a hypocrite, right, if I don't do that. It's not, I'm not talking about that. I always use my blinker, by the way. When they work. Sometimes the Jeep, they don't, they don't work all the time. But when I'm talking about within the church, within religion, that if I'm just doing something to do it, if I'm trying to look a certain way because other people are like, oh man, he, he looks like a Christian. He's wearing his Sunday best. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm just doing that because I think it's making me in a better stain with God, that is hypocrisy. If I live a certain way, I talk a certain way, I eat a certain way, I drink a certain way, and I just do it to do it, and I don't actually consecrate this, and I don't think about this and go to God with this in Scripture, it's hypocrisy. One of my favorite authors, and we're going to be talking about him a lot next month when we go over politics and those kinds of things, is, is Roger Williams. I've mentioned him before, but he literally wrote the book on separation of church and state and the whole reason was because the culture around them were, were forcing people to live a certain way and act a certain way and tie to the church a certain way and go to his particular church. And he has these two quotes that, that are just seared into my memory. And one is that christening makes not Christians. Right? Just because you go through the classes and you do these things and you get confirmed and all these different things doesn't make you a Christian. That is all about our heart accepting that the truth that Jesus died for my sins like a small child. Here's another one that says, forced religion stinks in the nostrils of God. We can't force this. It, it is repulsive. It's hypocrisy. But if we end this sermon right here, if we just stop right here, and all I say is, hey, all of you, all of us as Christians, we need to be more authentic. It's simply moralism. If I say, hey, we need to stop judging one another for certain things that they do and maybe we don't do, it's legalism. If they say, hey, we've got to be real with one another. We've got to be authentic with one another. It's just simply behavior modification. 
And that is not what Jesus has called us to do. Are we to live like Christ? Yes, but there's a difference between doing it just to do it and doing it because it actually benefits me, and I know it does. Uh, we recently have been, or still are, some days, still in the process of potty training Henry. He's doing fine, but every once in a while, he decides to pee his pants, right? I don't know why, I don't get it. And so it's been trying to correct him. It's been trying to, to discipline him in appropriate ways to say, hey, it's actually not cool to pee your pants, right? This is not, this is not something that, that we should be doing on a regular basis. And so I want to get you to stop peeing your pants. And so he might obey because he's afraid of the consequences, but I think he's getting there, that he's going, oh, I actually don't like peeing my pants. I, I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like the way it makes me look. I don't like the way it makes me smell. I don't like the way my dad gets mad at me when I do that. All, whatever, right? And all of a sudden, something changes. Something happens that he's not just doing it because he has to. He's now doing it and, or not doing it because he wants to. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for every single one of us. That Jesus was born under the law. He fulfilled the law. The law that we could not obey and yet even with all the rules and regulations that, we, that people, I think, associate with Christianity, there comes a point when I fall so much in love with Jesus that I don't say, oh, I have to do this thing. Oh, I just have to abstain from this thing, or I have to do this thing. We actually moved to this position. We say, I, I get to do this. I'm not required to do this. I, I, I actually want to do this. That's where we need to be. And not because we have to, but because of Jesus. To be authentic and not just to go along, just because we're, we're going along. Um, I'm short on time, but we're going to be doing this thing in the future as best I can. I'm going to have questions on your, on your handout that you got when you came in. And, and I want you to be able to discuss this, when we, whether we go back in the community room and, and maybe talk about it around your table with some friends, talk about it with your spouse, your roommates, uh, whatever it may be, in your small groups. I just want to open these conversations. There's something that's called... Um, well, it's a long story, but basically you all had just, have just done 40 minutes of homework, right? That you don't have to listen to something. You don't got to read something. You don't got to do some homework. You just, we just, we just heard a sermon on it. Let's just go talk about it, right? And I think just, just some prompting questions that I, they're, they're not, you know, crazy, uh, but just want to be able to start doing that in the future. So then gospel application, are we living authentic lives? Individually, corporately, are we doing this? Are we just, are we just trying to make a show of things? I don't, I don't think we are. But maybe let's check our own hearts. And secondly, are we simply going through the motions of religion? We're just doing this because it's what we've always done. And a matter of fact, we're about to do something that we do every single week, and that's take communion. Do we just do that because it's just a thing to do? Do we just do this because it's what churches do? No, it's not. We do this because we teach and we preach the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles every week, and we break bread together every single week. Right, we do this because this is what we've been commanded to do, and it shouldn't be, oh, we just have to do this again. I mean, we should, we, should want, we should want to remember what Jesus did for us. So take some time, pray, confess sin, confess anything you need to. Rejoice, worship your Savior, because he lived that life that we couldn't. And all we have to do is accept him like a small child and say, yes, I want Jesus, and I want the freedom that he brings. And so we have the juice that represents his blood. We have the bread that represents his body, which was broken for us. And as often as we take it in remembrance of him, we do in remembrance of our Savior. All we'd ask is that you'd be a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be a member of this church or any other church. We just would say, welcome, come, come and welcome sinner. Come, all of us sinners, but forgiven at the foot of the cross. There's a gluten-free option over here on 
my left, your right, if that's a dietary restriction. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you. Uh, thank you for your passage, the passages that we're able to read this morning. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for being able to um, allow Jesus to teach things that, that typically aren't known of a kingdom. That typically a kingdom in our society and culture is about showing force and strength and having a strong leader that, that can tell other people what to do. But in your kingdom, you say we must be like children. God, it's completely different. God, would you put that on our hearts today to come to you with childlike faith, to come to you with open arms and say, God, there's so many things about what you've taught in your scriptures I do not get. I don't understand it. I don't know if I'll ever understand it. It might take me all of eternity to begin just to grasp why you did things the way you did. But in this moment right now, I want to, like a small child, remember the sacrificial meal that you instituted thousands of years ago that you commanded me to take every time I'm sitting under the teaching of your word, that when we do, we remember what you did for me. And God, I want to remember that now. I want to remember that new and afresh this morning in a way that I haven't felt in a long, long time. So God, would you be honored? Would you be glorified? Would you be magnified as we sing, as we pray, as we have this meal together? And it's in Jesus' most precious name that we pray. Amen.